Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Kelleville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. We had a sneaky little break last week, but we're back this week. My name's Beck, and with me today is Dan. Hi, Dan. Hello. Good to be back. And Dave. G'day, Beck. And James. Yes, there's a microphone in front of me this morning. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the microphone and the headphones. He's looking very professional. That's it. Let me tell you. I'm um, feeling unprofessional without the headphones on. <laughs> That's all right. You just know your place in this room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We were talking about assistant ministers going yes, we rogue were. just before. And, and, and and I've just done you it. just heard it here. I am going to stick around for the entire podcast now. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank I'm going to make him talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Well, yeah. let's start with you then, Dave. We actually did have one question come in um, about your sermon from um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, You spoke about um, how Jesus brings hope to the broken. And the question is, what hope can Jesus give when someone has lost a non-Christian loved one? Would Jesus' judgment bring more despair than hope? Yeah, look, um, I think when it comes to, uh, you know, people who uh, we love uh, and they, they die and they don't know Jesus, uh, there's a. I, I remember an older lady telling me at some point, and she was a, a staff worker on a uni campus, mm-hmm. uh, and she was telling me one time, she goes, Dave, um, I've had to come to terms with the fact that my parents didn't know Jesus and uh, therefore their eternal destiny has been set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just there was a, a grief for her. Uh, in understanding that and uh, coming to turn, like she's like it's just she's, it's a hot was a process and a journey for her to uh, to even be comfortable to talk about it. Mm. Uh, and so, but she uh, she said to me, but what it does do is uh, push me harder to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus now. Mm. Um, and that's you know like it's a you know. Starting on a heavy note, sorry, um, yeah. podcast-wise. But it, it is something we've got to wrestle with. Like it's it's why we keep coming back to, uh, you know, one of the things that drive us as a church are the eternal realities of heaven and hell. Mm. Um, they're real. Uh, and that we believe that the one way to get to heaven is through Jesus. Mm. Uh, and so, um, yes, I think there is despair. Uh, and there is grief that goes with it uh, in understanding that um, and, and coming to that. But uh, what we need to do is, again, you, you can dwell and think on that and that can dominate, mm. um, but there's hope to give now to the living, uh, which is why, you know, uh, you know, not that I'm giving funeral advice because no one here is going to take many funerals. Maybe James will take some <laughs> at some point. But at funerals you speak to the living. Mm. Um, you let the family speak about the person who's died. Um, but as a, as a minister, you speak to the living. Like they're the ones that need the gospel. Um, you know, the, the, the one in the coffin, has, their moment has passed. So, um, so would Jesus' judgment bring more despair than hope? Not necessarily. Um, there's still hope to give. Mm. Um, but you can only accept it when you're here and now. So that makes the urgency just sort of you know, jump up a little bit. Mm. Mm. 
And I think there is comfort for the Christian in knowing the character of God, knowing that he is loving and merciful, more loving and merciful than we are, mm. but then, of course, more just and righteous than we are. So we can trust that God has done the right thing, even if that's hard for us to accept, yep. I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we did talk about um, the qualities of God um, on Sunday. James, would you share with us what you talked about on Sunday? Yeah. So uh, we looked at Psalm 139, and it's the season of being known by God. And so this particular psalm uh, has some very key doctrinal bits in it, um, speaking about who God is. And so we looked that that God is all-knowing, uh, that he's all-present, mm-hmm. and that he's all-powerful. And so we used some big theological words called omni. Uh, so you've got omnipresent, omnipo- uh, omnipotent or omnipotent uh, and omniscience. Uh, and so they were the sort of three key things that we looked at about God. And, you know, David, he speaks of this for the first sort of 18 verses and then you get to verse 19 and it just changed track to, you know, bring about judgment and, you know, those that hate you, may you, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it just, just didn't seem to fit or it seemed a little bit weird. Uh, and so we sort of looked at to how that kind of fits into the psalm, knowing who God is uh, from the previous 18 verses. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the big context of it all is that we looked at some of the, the big attributes of who God is. So, yeah, that was that was the day. Hmm. Okay, well, we've got a question about some of those attributes of God. Hmm. Someone has said that they've loved the unpacking of the omni qualities of God. Great job, James. Um, This got me thinking, how else is God described in Scripture by himself and others? I know this is a massive question, but particularly thinking in important titles or single words Hmm. um, that are used, like we've talked about today. Also, are there other omni words that have been used to describe God throughout the years? Yeah, so I'll answer the second part first. Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I'm not sure of any other omni words. Uh, Omni is really just more like all or sort of universal, like so all universal knowing and universal power and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. um, from that, uh, I'm I'm unaware of other omni words that have been used in theology. I'm sure someone's come up with something at some point trying to describe things, but yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, But other words that describe God, uh, I I went right back to the beginning, back in Genesis, uh, where we see um, God used at the very beginning. Um, And so the other word that you might have heard uh, is Elohim Mm -hmm. um, for that. Um, And then later in Genesis 3, we start to see the use of the Lord and Lord and all in capitals. uh, And that is uh, Yahweh, uh, which is the other place that you might have heard God be called. And so they were kind of the two things that came up. you know, Elohim, Elohim is more of a generic title for God, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Yahweh is more of that relational. Um, but also the uh, burning bush with Moses and um, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, where God says, I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And so you would have seen that uh, potentially used as well. Um, also Jehovah, you might have heard that be used, um, something to do with the Jews trying to not say Yahweh and then it got misconstrued and now, you know, with the mistranslation and things and then it's just stuck. It was written that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Bible Project did something on it and that's where the memory from that comes from. But, um, yeah, it was they're kind of the main titles that I can think of off the top of my head. So, yeah. Hmm. Any others want to add anything or cover? Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I've never heard in theology myself – about partic- those three that we covered were the main ones. Mm. Um, I did do a quick Google search and there was a couple of things that people came up with that I've seen. So there was omnific or omnificent, which is all creating according to this thing I found, which is really cool. I think that one's really important. Um, and then the one I really liked, there was a couple others, but the one that really stood out to me was just omni. 
because <laughs> he it's like omni omni. He is all in all, all, all in all, um, and that kind of Ephesians four six is what what they quoted. So one mm. God, Father of all, over all things, and through all and in all. So mm. like just omni full stop, omni period, because that is who he is. <laughs> he is everything, and without him, there is nothing else. Mm. So I really like that. I think that was a really good little comment on just God as himself. Like no matter what word we use, he is just omni. Mm. Yeah. 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 Good one. Oh, yeah. Look, I was just going to say, um, uh, you know, how else God describes himself in the scriptures uh, is Jesus. Because mm. uh, it is, he's you know, the word. he's the word who's become flesh, mm. um, you know, with God in the beginning and, you know, was manifested among us. So that was the only one, other one I went to. Mm. Yeah, good one. All right, um, next question is another question focusing in on God's presence, omnipresence. Um, in my mind, I know God is with me, but what if I don't feel it? What should I do then? Yeah, I think there'll be times in your life where you will feel that, uh, where you feel like, where are you, God? Like, mm-hmm. you know, David was like that. Uh, Psalm 13, um, when I was reading through, David wrote, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide my uh, your face from me? You know, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph at me? Long on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or will I sleep in death? And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, I've just stopped at verse 4. There's another two verses there. Um, but it's normal f- and in, it's not unnormal to maybe feel like that at times where you feel like God isn't there or you're not hearing him or through as you spend time in his word as you pray. Um, but the one thing that we can remind ourselves of, of is of who God is and what he has done mm. in the past. And mm. that's what these next two verses speak of. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And so I, I would encourage you that in those moments and those times, read God's word um, and have that assurance and hope of a God that we know that loves us, who we can call upon as our father and who loves us so much that he would send his son um, to save us from eternal death and punishment for our sins. And so I just I would encourage you with that, that it's not unnormal to, not f- to feel like that at times, um, but always lean into knowing of who God is and his goodness to us. Mm. Yeah, thank God that uh, his promises to us don't rest on our feelings. Mm. Mm. Uh, otherwise, it would be uh, sketchy uh, in terms of it actually being true. Um, and sometimes our, our own experiences of the world around us, uh, you know, can leave us going, well, I don't know. Um, but his, his word is trustworthy mm. uh, and his character and who he is. Uh, is trustworthy. So, you know, every uh, promise finds its yes and amen uh, in Jesus. And so we can we can trust that. Mm. Um, I second <laughs> that and I, I just affirm that even when we don't feel it, God is always working because of the things that we've just discussed. And, um, and we did a really good exercise, um, led the youth in a really good exercise at our Bible study that we had before Sunday a couple of weeks ago where the question was just simply look back on your life and where have you, as you think and reflect, where have you noticed God working in your life? And um, 
whether to be bringing you toward him if you didn't know him originally or even if you do know have known him for as long as you can remember, seeing how God has worked to develop you in your faith. And it was a really fruitful exercise with the youth particularly, mm. just having that intentional time of reflection. Um, and I think I, practically in answer to the question, what should I do? Well, even though in those moments it might be hard to do it, even whether in that moment, if you can, or whether you, you come through that season on the other end, actually stop and intentionally reflect on your life and actually think about where have I seen God working in, in me and through me and other people. Yeah. And widen the gap, not just to what I can see, but how have I seen other people working to bring God into my life a little bit mm. more. There, it was a really fruitful exercise then, and I, I did it as well with them. And yeah, I think that is a really good little lesson and practical step to take. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I really like what you said about um, accepting the care of others as God's love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a place that I found myself in when I felt very abandoned by God was sort of reorienting myself to experience the love of his people as God's love. Um, and so that's another practical um, notion as well that can carry you through a difficult time like that. All right, moving on to um, how we use our words to honour God. Um, James, you you said that swearing was bad. Um, so yes. someone has asked, why is swearing bad? Isn't swearing better than using the Lord's name in vain or is it all unpleasant to God? See, it's all unpleasant to God. It's mm-hmm. all of the above. Um, so uh, for me, um, there's a few places that I could go to to speak of uh, why um, and I'll let the Bible answer that in a moment. I'll read out those three passages. Um, but ultimately, um, as I was reflecting on this and thinking about the use of language in my own context when I was younger, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that I was would swear. Uh, people go, are you even a Christian? Like, what do you mean, man? Like, they would actually yeah. question my authenticity mm. because of the way that I spoke because actually as Christians we're called to to live and to love others and when we use profanity, we're actually always generally using it in a derogatory sense. Yeah. Where it's, it's in a negative way that we will speak about someone or something, and I'm, you know, I'll let you guys work that out in your head where you would place those things. Uh, and so, in that context, um, actually, Jesus speaks to this in Matthew five, uh, Matthew five twenty one to twenty two, and he says this. Um, this is under the title of murder on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or Sister, Raka, uh, which means like, you know, you're stupid, um, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so it's the way that we speak to people and at people and the use of the context of those words are always from a negative point. And when I was, um, I did a bit of reading on the Gospel Coalition, they had a, a bit of an article on it. And I'll just quote them. They said this, uh, profanity then is not about the number of letters in a word, but it's about the way that we treat talk about or fail to uh, have reverence or enjoy people and things that God has created. Uh, Mm -hmm. Profanity is a bad thing, not primarily because it talks about bad things, but because it talks badly about good things. Mm -hmm. And these good things encompass all God has made, including humans made in his image. Mm -hmm. And so then speaking specifically to our words and the use of profanity, um, three passages that I've got for you. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
Uh, Peter 3.10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. And James 3, 9 to 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse him. Uh, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So... Mm. They're the three things that I'd speak to about why swearing is bad and also taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty comprehensive, I reckon. Anything to add? Um, one thing I just wanted to highlight there, like there's a particular witness in our faith in not choosing deliberately to not use profanity too. Mm. And like James has touched on that. But like if – and often the reason is that we want to hurt those people and bring them down. But what a witness it is when we use our speech to build one another up. It's that Ephesians passage, um, that was one I, I was going to mention, but it's already been mentioned, but it, it's building one another up so we can not only honour God but honour them too. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's like what is the opposite witness? It, it's not building someone up but it's building them, sorry, not putting someone putting someone down but building them up. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's the positive mm. side of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So it's no swearing, but do this. Yeah. Yeah. And being different to the world. Like the world puts it I was at a comedy um I was at a comedy show a couple of weeks ago and there was like an F bond in every every other sentence. I'm like, I don't this feels weird. This feels uncomfortable. And so it's so prevalent that not doing it and choosing to instead build them up in love and responding appropriately is such a witness. Definitely. And people really notice it. Um, one of my kids, um, their group decided they were going to stop swearing. They're not Christian kids. but um, And they said, oh, but for you, you don't swear already. So what are we going to get you to do? <laughs> so so that it's something that people notice, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they know that she's a Christian and that's why she doesn't swear. Yeah. Mm. I- I'm still scared of what my mum will say if uh, she catches me swearing. So, um, <laughs> these are all good theological things. I'm just scared of my mum. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, you know. Um, my kids aren't scared it's enough been a while of since me. You've had some soap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I well flashback. <laughs> no, no, not my parents. <laughs> my, not my Their parents. was always there with mine, but it never oh, happened. No. But <laughs> one day I tried so, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. How bad's the threat? <laughs> Just off your own bat. Yeah. I was like, how bad's Just the threat that's on coming? Toast yeah. or something? Or? <laughs> yeah. Just to test it out. Yeah, yeah. No, I went to preschool long enough ago that they actually did wash a little boy's mouth out with soap Whoa. when he said a bad word. So, but that doesn't happen anymore. Um, that was the 80s. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Next question is also about words but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said we shouldn't hide how we're feeling to other people. If we're going through a hard season and we see someone regularly, we may just be bringing up the same struggles, fatiguing ourselves but also affecting the listener who may also be struggling with things themselves or just not have the capacity to hear those things at that time. How do we manage when to share our lives honestly and be real with people with caring for others in what and when we share? Takes wisdom. Yeah, it does, yeah, doesn't it? It is, yeah. And and that's and that's that's there was my immediate response when I read that. I was like, yeah. man, it just it it, it takes wisdom. Mm. Um, you know, I did say that, and I think it's important uh, for us to do life with one another, uh, to walk alongside one another. And there are going to be seasons in life where life is hard, uh, where you know, as you meet up regularly, you have the constant notion of whatever's going on that you just share about that and it, and it can be taxing. 
Mm. Um, but I think it's important not to then just go put it off to the side and not deal with it um, because ultimately, um, God willing, for, for many cases, not all, that time will pass, but there will be cases where that is just your life for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, and so when I was thinking about that, I think it just it just depends on your circumstance, depends on what you're doing. But my biggest thing that I wanted people to, to take away from that comment was that we're not alone. There are people that love us. We are a community that cares for one another, that loves one another and will help one another in times of need. Mm. And so don't feel like you have to walk alone in those hard times. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I would I would encourage people that, you know, I know for me like I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, you, you know how I'm feeling even if I tell you I'm good and that's, that's a James <laughs> problem, um, you know. But ultimately uh, there are times where sometimes that you need a couple of people in your life that you can – share with and they can speak wisdom into i think mm. that's really important because um, yeah like you can build so much stuff up in your head and cause a lot of harm for yourself but then when you can have someone else to share it with and they go hey look totally agree totally see you know like why don't we pray let's walk with one another i'll check in with you i think that'll just make a huge difference and so coming from someone who's tended to walk the lone path most of his life don't do it mm. yeah mm. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I think what what's inherent in this question is the person who's asking this question I think knows it's a wisdom call. They know it's not always appropriate to yeah. download everything on the same person but yeah. sometimes, um, yeah, so it's a balancing act because you don't want to walk alone um, and you don't want to deprive others of the opportunity to be your burdens because that's what we're called to do in Scripture too. Mm. Yeah. All right, now we're going to move on to a very, very difficult topic um, and it may be upsetting and unsettling for some listeners to to listen to us chat through this. So please listen with care and reach out for support if you'd like to discuss these things further in person. There's only so much we can convey in a podcast. Um, so these questions, until we get to the end of the podcast, are about voluntary assisted dying. Um, so James, you spoke about abortion and assisted dying. And our first question is, um, God gave us the ability to learn and understand our world the ability to create and invent. Through this, we have developed medical science that saves lives and helps us to look after ourselves and keep us as healthy as possible. If God has given us these tools to use, why can't we use them to allow the mercy of a peaceful death for those whose quality of life is really hard? Thank you for your question. Mm. Um, yes, I did speak about this on Sunday. Uh, the passage led to itself in the... Uh, last um, stanza, uh, looking at God's omnipotence uh, or omnipotence, his power. And uh, I said that uh, God is in control. God is God. Uh, the, 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 the scriptures actually say that God has ordained all our days and that uh, that's why Christians over the years have held to this so tightly that both abortion and euthanasia are wrong. Mm. Uh, but in in this context where you've, you're asking about the ability to learn and understand and to create and invent, um, there, are, there are many things in this world that we have learnt and that God has enabled us to create and invent. Um, and in our sinful nature, we have made them for bad. Mm. I can think of wars and all the things that we're creating there, uh, things that might have been made for good but have been used now for wrong and hurt. And so the same could be said uh, in the context of making things that uh, end life. Uh, and where I went on Sunday was that uh, God is in control and that we shouldn't 
take it upon ourselves to to end life uh, on our on our own terms because then we're putting ourselves in the position of God. Uh, we're putting um, that in our hands instead of in God's hands, and so it it is a challenge. Um, and we're going to speak more broadly uh, in this with the following uh, questions that are coming. Um, but ultimately, I've said God is God. He is all powerful. He is all present. He is all knowing. Uh, and that ultimately he is in control and therefore we are to leave that to him. Um, and so, yeah, there are other ways that people can leave this world um, and we have good measures to do that uh, with palliative care. Um, but I think to end it um, on our own terms, with our own ways, with the stuff that's been made by humans um, is wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's so much to say in this mm. space, uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, again, put it in the hey, we should do a whole podcast on on this category. So mm. just note that one down. Whoever's got the notes uh, <laughs> for, for for that one. Yeah. Uh, but it it is there's there's a real there's a real tug on the the heartstrings that comes with this, uh, because end of life care and treatment. Um, and people who are suffering immensely, uh, and you know, towards the end of their life, is is a really, uh, it's a really painful thing to watch. You know, family and friends go through that, yep. uh, and when people's quality of life deteriorates, you know, uh, rapidly, and uh, you know, I, I think we we want to read and engage with those stories uh, as Christians mm-hmm. uh, with with mercy. Yeah. With mm. great compassion, mm. um, but we also want to make sure uh, we don't make um, science a god in and of itself. Uh, that it will have all the answers and dictate the moral values uh, by which we hold a society. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, why can't we use them to allow the mercy of a peaceful death? Um, I, I think the answer is we do. Um, we, we do with palliative care. That's, that's why we set that whole thing up and there's so many good things that, that happen in that space and, um, you know, palliative care doctors and nurses got to be up there with some of the, you know, unsung heroes mm. uh, of, um, of, uh, of people today. So, um, and, you know, medical science, uh, there's so many good advances, you know, and doctors and, and nurses in the restorative medicine, you know, like getting us back to being healthy is a really good thing. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, as James already, you know, reiterated, there's, uh, there's things that we've come up with uh, that haven't been used uh, to uphold God's created order. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, we have another question that kind of starts to touch on um, what we've already talked about, but perhaps bring up some other points as well. Um, why is it euthanasia and abortion that are the doctors playing God? How come life-saving but risky surgeries or other surgeries aren't playing God? Yeah, that's a great question. I had to sit and think about that for a little while when I read it. Um, the thing that I came to land on was that their intents are different. Mm. Um, so the first about risky surgeries or life-saving surgeries, well, you kind of just said it, it's life-saving. The intent is to try and save life for it to not to end. And Mm. so there will be moments where risk will be taken where that could result in death, but without doing it, the inevitable will come, which will be death. And so in those contexts, 
um, yeah, I think that that is okay in that context. Um, whereas the other way is that you're ending life. Um, and so you're saying you don't get to live anymore. You're making that call. Your life is finishing here. And so I think they're, they're opposite yeah. of, of their intent. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so they're different categories in that sense. Yeah, that's the way that I, I looked at it. Yeah, I mean all, all surgery has risk, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, you know, any sort of anaesthesia you have, you know, the, that's why they come around and say, you do know there is a risk by you signing this, you can't, you know, uh, come at me. Um, and, and some surgeries are just more substantially bigger hmm. uh, in terms of what they're messing with, you know, brain, spine, hmm. um, uh, all, all those things. And so, you know, but, yeah, the, the intent behind it is about that, again, that restorative element that comes with it as opposed to the, you know, this is where yeah. we're looking to take something here. Yeah. Hmm. If we, I guess as Christians, if we're seeking to emulate Jesus' ministry on earth, he didn't kill anyone. He healed people. Yeah. Um, so that's part of that different category, mm. I think, there when we're talking about um, euthanasia versus life-saving um, interventions. And, and this, without opening the, the can, of, can of worms, there, there is something about quality of life arguments mm. that, that all sort of run mm. around here. Um where that, excuse me, can sometimes be the driving force, um, but we need to be really, really careful uh, where that takes us and um, what what that actually means. You know, when we did Psalm eight, uh, you know, right back at the start, I think that we start. Do we start with Psalm eight? Sounds good. I think we may have. We did. Yeah. Um, you know, what? Where? Why is humanity precious? You know, humanity is precious not due to its quality of life. Humanity is precious because it's made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So therefore uh, the sickest person, you know, through to the tiniest little baby, you know, the most fragile elderly person and everyone in between is precious. Mm. Um, and so just because our world is broken uh, and there's suffering and pain that comes with it, quality of life cannot be the determination by which you make big concrete decisions. Otherwise... Mm. I think we'll find ourselves in all sorts of askew places that, you know, we're not really comfortable with. Mm. And I think that's the case actually. Um, I really recommend a podcast, um, the Undeceptions podcast with John Dixon. He has an episode um, which is called Against Euthanasia where he has interviewed an ethicist and a couple of palliative care doctors um, so people who really know what they're talking about um, in this space um, and kind of going through the the best arguments against euthanasia. And one of the things that comes up related to what you were saying, Dave, is this idea of the, the driving force behind voluntary assisted dying and euthanasia is our society's um, reconception of human dignity as capability, productivity um, and independence and autonomy. Um, whereas a Christian view um, is all those things that you just said. Um, and so when we recategorize human dignity as a quality of life involving those things, those new things, new conceptions, it becomes a very dangerous space for people with disabilities. Um, so one of the biggest advocacy groups, according um, to the fellow on this podcast, um, 
uh, advocating against euthanasia is disability advocacy groups because there's a pretty big um, value judgment being made on the lives of people with significant disability when we start talking about um, our ideas of what quality of life is. Yeah, and it's why the the, um, autonomy in here is such a key concept for us to understand uh, as well because if we go, hey, look, quality of life – uh, and hu- humanity and how we define those things, if we go to the scriptures and say that's what defines us, you know, being made in God's image, uh, no, no matter sort of who it is, um, it also then lends itself to say if, if that's sort of where we take that direction from, we can't be autonomous beings. Mm-hmm. Now, autonomy is, is two words, autonomous, self-law. Uh, it's about us saying I make the rules, God doesn't make the rules. You know, if we believe Job's words where he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, uh, that has significant implications for start of life and end of life arguments um, because he's you know, yeah, um, he's the one who actually uh, dictates those things, mm-hmm. uh, which is why this is such a tricky space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really important that we define what we're talking about really um, clearly, hmm. uh, because there's a difference between voluntary assisted dying. There's a difference between withdrawal of treatment, uh, and you know there's a difference between switching off a life machine. Like all those heartbreaking things uh, to do with beginning and end of life stuff. But we want to make sure we're actually using the scriptures as well as we possibly can. Mm. So the next question touches on those issues of definition, I think. Um, It also touches on some things we've already talked about, so just pull out what you think we need to address. Um, So the question is, thanks for a great sermon today, James. My question is around the part of the sermon in which you said that the new voluntary assisted dying law now legislated in New South Wales is wrong. Do God's mercy and God's omnipotence have a role to play here? Medical staff employ interventions that prevent death and in palliative care use interventions such as morphine that gently usher a person into death in their last days and hours of suffering and have done so for a long time. People also make choices every day to sign do not resuscitate forms and choose death even though intervention could keep them alive longer. Would an all-powerful God allow any of these things to happen if it wasn't his will that it should be so? If one is wrong, wouldn't all be wrong? Um, if it is true that God decides the day of our death, why is it acceptable for human intervention to prevent death but not to assist a dying person into death? So we've covered some of those things, but I think I think there's other things that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that question. Brilliantly written and worded. Thank yeah. you for covering every basis. Um, I think that was it was really helpful um, in preparing and, and coming for an answer. Um, yeah, I did say it is wrong. Um, and and so, yep, I will still stick to that. And, and as Dave was saying before, uh, as we think about um, the broader implications of it all, uh, it would be helpful for us to understand exactly what is the definition of VAD and mm. also, say, palliative care and the likes of DNRs and all that kind of stuff because there is a lot of different things out there in regards to either helping maintain human life or, or for it to, to end. Mm. Um, so this is um, VAD. So it, it's the term used in the Act that's just come out to describe the process by which an eligible individual may choose to end their life through the administration of an approved and prescribed poison. So it's the, the act of taking something in which will result in their life ending mm. at the consumption of it. Uh, and so that is 
distinguishedly different to palliative care uh, where, you know, palliative care is a specialized type of healthcare service um, that essentially is the approaches to improve the quality of life of the patients uh, and actually their families facing the problems with uh, what is happening with that life-threatening illness that's slowly um, bringing about death for the person. Mm. Um, and it's through trying to relieve the the pain in which they are having and you know i think in your question you said something and the likes of morphine sort of speeding up the process um i guess that does happen uh and and you there are probably cases where more morphine is given to do that uh, not always the case um you know really morphine is meant to be given to a particular level in which helps the ease of suffering not uh, exp- expedite the process of, of mm. death uh, and so they're, they're kind of key distinguishes between what VAD is and what palliative care is. Uh, with the do not resuscitate, um, I, I hear that, I receive that, absolutely. You could argue that if someone does have a DNR um, and they theoretically could be saved, then is that not in the same context of allowing someone? But I would say given off the, the other two of what they actually are, uh, it isn't. Um, and so um, – but – helpful point uh, that you make there. Um, but when it comes to VAD, I think for me, uh, as, I, as I've been reflecting on it and, you know, this comes from a place for, like, you know, I witnessed my dad die from mm. cancer, right? Mm. Like to the last night, like you do not forget wow. that, right? And yeah. so this isn't coming from a place of me going, I've never experienced this. I've witnessed it firsthand in my life to see someone I love pass. Mm. Um, and I would still say... I wouldn't endorse VAD Mm. Um, because at the end, you know, there were precious moments there that I would have never gotten, that he would have never had with me and for that to be taken away because it was decided that VAD was easier Mm. I think is devastating. And actually I think for me when legislation changes like this happen, I'm always very nervous about what is being opened up. Yeah. Um, we've just opened this up last week. There are countries that are far ahead of us in this process mm. and the uptake of people wanting to use VAD to, to, to end their life um, has increased significantly. Uh, some yeah. countries it's 33% year wow. on year. And with that, it, it comes with other implications because right now palliative care has been the only way that people could ease into death. And so it leads to the question, well, if VAD is going to become the norm, what happens to those that don't want it? What about palliative care? Mm. Um, And what is that going to mean for people that want that? You know, the podcast that you were mentioning talks about that, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a situation, I think it was in Canada, so somewhere Mm. that's had um, a VAD for a long time. And there was a woman in her 30s who was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer and the treatment was experimental and her um, insurance um, company wouldn't pay for the treatment. And so she asked them out of curiosity, would you would you fund VAD for me? And they said yes. And she said, well, how much would that cost? And they said $1.20. Um, so it just what that demonstrates is what James is talking about. It's an unintended consequence I don't think anyone who's an advocate for euthanasia is actually wanting that sort of scenario Mm, to happen. No No one wants that to happen. But as soon as we legislate VAD, we are enabling the creation of those systems. I think the end of that story is that the insurance company did end up funding her treatment um, just to round that off. But Mm. – I think I think the the anecdote still holds. Like this is a dangerous 
playing field Mm. um, that we're playing in. Um, And I do really encourage everyone to go and listen to that podcast because um, it's really helpful in thinking through this issue. Yeah. And like, you know, I think one of the big arguments for VAD is like people are fearful of what the end will look like. Of course. Yeah. And I get that. Mm. And it's not pleasant. Uh, and so people would, would rather take the opportunity to have a decision on how they might pass versus having to extend that and actually they've already been suffering, right? They've got a terminal illness. Mm. They already are really struggling and they're just dreading the thought of how much more worse will this be that I'll have to prolong this for the next six months. Mm. Um, but ultimately the palliative care that we do have is world-class and is very good. Um, and one of the sort of data points that came out um, was that, you know, apparently it's only about 2% of patients in palliative care units actually experience pain because that's what we're fearful of. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the data that they've got. You know, when patients are nearing the end of their life uh, and are provided with the right palliative care and pain alleviation and all that kind of stuff, it is only a small minority. And so I think there is less of an argument for that in the context of, of VAD. So, mm. yeah. There's – I haven't got a particular comment on this question but mm. more just uh, into this space. Mm. Um, I think the world uh, revolves around life in the here and now. Mm. And so uh, – and that, that can drive decision-making as to sort of, um, uh, you know, what we need to do but – um, there's more – our lives don't revolve around our suffering now. Uh, our, our lives revolve around the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. Like that's the key, you know, marker in the sand of the difference between Christians and non-Christians ultimately when it comes to our understanding of death. Mm. Um, we, without an afterlife thought and this world is all there is, you know, it can either just leave you to what doesn't matter I just do whatever, um, or you can try and hang on for as long as you can. Um, but I think as Christians, uh, we want to make sure we keep our theology front and center, mm. um, yeah. and keep our understanding of this isn't it. This is this is just a temporary place. You know, we're we're ultimately going uh, home uh, to be with Jesus, uh, and, and this, this isn't it. We're not there yet. And so I think that also very powerfully, uh, plays into these arguments around end of life things. Um, and I think it's why Paul says that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Like there's, there's, it's not just the power of being raised back to life. Like I think there's a powerful piece, uh, in terms of what dictates what we do in the here and now. There is a, um, a recognition there as Christians of the limits that we have as in our humanity in, um, in all the gray of this, it's keeping God where he needs to be and allowing that to shape how we live and how we, how we die as well. And dying with the dignity that shows particularly in our space that God is God. And if that means we do engage things with like palliative care or to, to bring it on a little bit more, um, then, that means God is still God and we are knowing that we're going home once we, once we hit that end of life. Yeah, I, I, was, I was reading this morning in, um, uh, 
I don't know. I was doing. I can't remember where I was. Um, no, I was in my office, but like <laughs> where I was, was in terms of what dement- <laughs> early, mate. <laughs> and um, they use the example of, you know, imagine you have some people come around for dinner. Like it's a great night, you're hanging out, um, but you get to that point in the night where, uh, you know, it's time to go, right? You don't have to say it. You don't have to say, Beck. It's time for you to go. I do that. Um, <laughs> my friends know I do that. <laughs> but there, there comes, you know, where, where it's it's appropriate yeah. for let the night wrap up. Yeah. And, and there's a similar thing in terms of when I think uh, end of life things, mm. like they they without actually having to explicitly say now's my time to go. Uh, there's an appropriate thing as the host where you let the person mm. go. And I, and I thought it was really beautiful. They did said it much more poetically than I, I have. But there's just that sort of idea uh, to help sort of frame it. There's there's an, it's okay, like like it's okay to let death come sometimes um, because as Christians, it's not the end of the story. Hmm. And I think um, using the same analogy that you just did, Dave, um, <clears throat> in that kind of analogy when your friend leaves or when you've had that person over as the host, there is kind of a grief in letting them go and being like, that was such a fun night. Why couldn't we keep that going for X amount of time longer? Or why couldn't we just keep hanging out with them? Um, But there is a time where that must stop. And I don't think any of this conversation is trying to diminish the grief that is felt by those who are left behind, by those who are on the outside trying to make these decisions particularly if the person in that care can't make those decisions for themselves. And I don't think we are trying to pastorally, and there's a pastoral care there in walking with someone through this and after it as well. And I don't think any of this this discussion is trying to diminish that either. And there is a grief there in like what James was saying in the fear of what's to come, not just for themselves and people going through this, but also those loved ones around them too. And, um, yeah, not wanting to diminish that either mm. and keeping that in mind too as we discuss all this, yeah. Mm. I think that leads um, pretty well into our last question, um, which is if someone chose death through VAD, is this sin? Would they not go to heaven and would their family need to repent as well? Yeah, so if someone chose death through VAD, is this sin? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, however you like to put it, VAD is suicide. It is murdering yourself, therefore breaking the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And so, yeah, it is. Mm. But are we not all sinners? Um, And I think that's the broader thing that we need to think about and and reflect on on this. Um, That particular action, yes, but we're all sinners. Mm. But aren't we grateful for a saviour that has saved us from our sin? Mm. Uh, and so would their family need to repent as well? Uh, this is where it will know because they haven't done anything. Um, but there's this – it gets tricky when family get involved in the process and the decision-making and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I can't really speak into that particular situation, but on a face value of your question, no, because they haven't done it. Um, but they're still sinners. Mm. We're all sinners. Mm. But praise God for Jesus. Mm. We need to make sure we're not uh, – make sure we're, we're, we're not Catholic mm. uh, in terms of when it comes to dealing with sin, that you need to go uh, and receive the Lord's Supper in order for that ongoing... Um, uh, state of grace. State of grace, right? Mm. Uh, which is why for, for many Catholics they believe suicide is a sin. You can't be forgiven because you're gone and therefore, you know, you, you can't go through the, 
um, the act of, of yeah. salvation. Right. Um, that's not us. Mm. No. Jesus has done it all. Um, all the sins of the past, the present, the ones that I'm going to do the rest of today uh, and the rest of my lifetime, it's done. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the beauty and I think that's what the Scriptures teach us. So mm. um, it's, not, it's not the unforgivable sin yeah. uh, in, in any way, shape or mm. form. Um, but, yeah, I still stand with what James said in terms mm. of it, it is a sin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that helps answer your question. That was our last question. Um, so what are we going to be talking about next week? Uh, me. No, no, no. Oh, we're going to talk about Dave. Right, Dave. What a great week. I don't even know if I'm in my office <laughs> preaching on me. <laughs> What's this place coming to? <laughs> shouldn't have had a day off yesterday. <laughs> uh, we are finishing our Psalms series mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to be in Psalm 150. Uh, and really Psalm 150 is, um, uh, you know, a bit of a collection of the last five Psalms, which are the, the Alleluia Psalms, you know, and they all start with praise and Psalm 150 has, uh, says praise 13 times. Hmm. Um, and it's the same thing every time, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So, uh, we're just going to unpack that and, uh, we're going to see how really those last five Psalms. Uh, are really, I think, in terms of the whole book of Psalms, uh, just so important as to what the end of our Christian lives is to be mm. and where we're heading all together. Mm. Uh, and so and we're going to sing. We're going to praise God. We are. Yeah. That sounds appropriate. Um, oh, well, thank you for that, everyone, and we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.